right. Well, get your Bibles open to Jonah chapter 3 right now. And as you're, you know, finding your way over there, uh, have you... Have you ever asked somebody or, or, or even told somebody to do something, like a task or something like that, and uh, they did it for you, technically, uh, but you could easily tell that their heart wasn't exactly in it? Of course, it's called parenting, right? It's exactly what that is. You know, you've asked your kids to do some kind of a chore around the house. It's, you know, take the, you know, take the garbage out and... You know, sure, they, they do it, but the entire time they're huffing and puffing or they're complaining or they are, you know, swirling in bitterness or whatever it might be, maybe that's it. Or, or maybe for you, you've noticed this is kind of what happens in, uh, in your marriage a little bit. Maybe for you, you know, you're desiring a little bit more of, uh, of the romance maybe from your, from your spouse. And, and so you've talked about it and you've asked and you said, you know, we need to grow in this. And these are some of the things that, you know, I think we could get better at here. And so you've looked for that, but instead of like, you know, the candlelit dinner and the, and the wooing that you're kind of hoping for, it turns into, you know, like a couple of boxes of craft dinner and, you know, sitting on the couch and, you know, maybe a passing comment about how you look great, but it's while, you know, he distractedly scrolls through his phone or, or whatever. And so you, you kind of recognize me, you know, there's, I guess there's something kind of happening, but it's kind of a far cry for you know, what I would really like to see and for what I've asked for. Now, before the rage starts to like boil, right, towards our loved ones here, uh, let's recognize that uh, we, we are guilty of some of these same kind of things ourselves, right? Our, our boss at work gets us to do something and sure, we do it, but we're not exactly happy about having to do it. You know, we're we're guilty of pursuing our spouses half-heartedly, though they've, you know, asked for more and real effort. Or, you know, for us, it wasn't that long ago that we were kids, or at least we can remember, you know, being forced to do a bunch of stuff around the house as well, and we didn't like it either, right? Well, as Christ followers here, okay, we understand that God has called us to obey, right? To obey him. Now, he commands, we follow through, Right, as as the you know the the great and holy sovereign creator of the universe, he has every right to command and have us fall in line with all of that. Now we we know that, at least to some degree, we 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 kind of get that. Right? We know that God saved us by grace, that he's you know mercifully invited you and I into a relationship with him that you and I don't deserve, right? We don't deserve all of this. And it's an, it's an honor and it's a privilege to, you know, to be called to obey him. We, we get that, at least on some kind of head level. But like in like these examples of, of parenting or marriage or, or work, we know that when it comes to the Lord, sometimes we just struggle to, to follow him or to obey him with, with the right attitude, if you want to put it that way. Well, this is exactly where Jonah finds himself here in uh, the third chapter of this book. And like him, maybe, maybe you and I have fallen into his version of obedience to the Lord, where we, we, we do it technically, right? We're, we're kind of going through that, but something's clearly, clearly missing somewhere in the realm of our desire and our love and our, and our joy and all of that. Okay, we, we understand that, 
that God's not looking for disobedience. We, we get that, right? That's pretty obvious. But, but surely he's looking for more out of us than, than dry, you know, stiff, dragging our feet or complaining along the way kind of obedience. Okay, so, so what kind is God getting from us? Right, is he getting the kind of obedience that that he desires and that he longs to draw out of us. Well, again, this is where we're going here today. And so we're going to read this now. Uh, If you would follow along in Jonah chapter three, we're just going to read the entire chapter there, starting in verse one. Here's what it says. It says, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. And he called out, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows, God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Lord, we read a passage like this, and Lord, we kind of know our own hearts, and Lord, as we grow closer to you, you start to reveal kind of where we're really at, and something that I believe every Christ follower in our sanctification comes to realize is that maybe we're just not quite following you and obeying you from a true and right heart. Maybe some of this is a little bit too for the sake of optics. Maybe it's so that we look impressive. Maybe it's to to keep people from asking how we might be doing and and probing deeper. Maybe it's even to get you off of our back. Lord, Lord, look what I'm doing. See how I follow you? It's because we don't want you to to bring greater conviction and to disrupt our comfort lives. Lord, I pray that you would in fact do that very thing here today. Lord, I pray that you would get down into the kind of mucky areas of our hearts. Lord, I pray that when it comes to obedience, you would show us where uh, this is uh, merely external only. It's not really coming from a place of, of love for you. It's not being driven by a heart that loves Jesus Christ through the gospel. Lord, I pray that you would have mercy on us as you showed great mercy to the Ninevites. Lord, I pray that as we have looked at this series and how you pursue us relentlessly, Lord, we see that in your servant, Jonah, Lord, who is a far cry from where he needs to be spiritually, but Lord, you continue to come after him. Lord, you do the exact same thing with us. Lord, I pray that as we see your heart towards us, the people that you have called to your name, the people that you have saved from sin, Lord, I pray that every every ounce of our energy in following you would come from a place of true true desire, Lord. 
gratitude, thanksgiving, joy. So God, bit by bit, Lord, in, in big ways and in all the small ways that we don't quite see, I pray that you would, you would reveal to us where we've erred. I pray that you would show us your goodness. And I pray that, Lord, you would inspire us to repentance here and to follow you and obey you with our whole hearts. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, here we go. We're jumping right into it here. First thing, two points here today. Here's the first one. When God calls me to obey, he's looking for more than superficial compliance to his commands. Hey, safe to say he's looking for more than that. We've been barking up this tree already here this morning. Here we go. We see it in the first five verses. Okay, and as we pick it up here in chapter three, uh, Jonah's back on dry land again. I can only imagine that he's had a phenomenal shower, right? He's, you know, been spit up, been vomited up by this fish, and it's like Axe body spray everywhere, whatever, and he's feeling real good. Now, verse one, okay, verse one says, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Hey, isn't this kind of amazing when you really think about it? Because most prophets, if, if you realize, if you, if you, especially if you know your Old Testament, you know that most prophets don't get a second chance, do they? Right? If they fail to obey the Lord, they, they're held to a higher standard as all leaders are. And they often don't get that. And the Lord's like, all right, you're not going to do it. I'm just going to do it without you. And you're off to the side. Now we never hear from them uh, again. But here we see this, this amazing grace and mercy towards the prophet Jonah here. And here's what God commands him to do. Verse two, he says, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. Now you see that and you're like, all right, pretty much verbatim what he had said to him originally back in chapter one, verse two. He's like, he's like get up, right? Get, get going now. Time to, to relay my message, my, my words to these people. And now, now verse three, Jonah says, so Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now you see that and you're like, wow, that's, that's a lot better, right? Better, better response, better reaction uh, out of him, right? He, 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 doesn't, he doesn't flee. He doesn't go down when God says up. He's not looking for the, the, you know, the next ship out of town. He's not doing any of that stuff, right? You look at that, you're like, good, good start here, Jonah. Way to learn your lesson. Now keep going. It says, now Nineveh was an exceedingly great City. Now you might see a little number there and there's a footnote down at the bottom in the ESV anyways. It tells us that that literally means it was a great city to God. Okay, which tells us that, that the Lord had just such a heart for these people. Even though their evil had gone up before him, it told us uh, earlier. Even though they were, they were wicked and it was bad and their sin was completely against him. And they were, there, there was violence as we learn later. And, and it was a bad scene. He still has a heart for the people uh, that he has created. It was, it was an exceedingly great city to God. Now next it says there that, that Nineveh was a, a three days journey in breadth. And it likely refers to how it took uh, three days to get there. Probably, I'm assuming, kind of from wherever the, the fish spat up 
Uh, Jonah. Now, it's been a phrase that has long kind of puzzled interpreters a little bit because we know that the city, while it was great and while there was a you know, significant size to it, and we see some of those numbers in chapter 4, uh, we know that it, it wasn't large enough to take three days literally uh, to walk through. So this is probably the best uh, understanding of, uh, of those words there. Now, verse 4, keep going. It says, Jonah began to go into the city and going a day's journey into it. He called out and he said this, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh, look what they do, believed God. They called for a fast and, and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. Now, if we were to take all of that at, at face value, okay, it would definitely appear that like, wow, everything is like totally worked out perfectly. Right, everything is gone, gone completely to plan. God says, "All right, you know, Jonah to Nineveh, take two. Right, that's what he does. Jonah, Jonah goes. He, he proclaims the message, and and the people. It says, believed God. Right, they they repent. Right, they believe him. So you're looking at it and you're like, man, there's the there's the Disney ending. There's the Hollywood ending that you know we love and we want to see uh, so much. Okay, only as as those committed to understanding the text as God gave it to us, as we are, you and I have to be really careful here to, to realize the overarching context of what's really going on in this story. Okay, I've mentioned it a few times here over the last couple of weeks as we've been going through this, this book, but a careful look at the, the story as a whole really gives us a better understanding as to what was happening in these very in these kind of specific moments here. All right, if, if we were to simply isolate verses one to five, the ones that we're looking at right now, from, from the greater context of the book, if we were to like bring that out and just look at it by itself, it certainly seems like Jonah has, has completely reformed. Right? He's, he's learned his lesson Right? God commands him this second time. And I mean, he's been through the whole, you know, fish stomach situation. That doesn't seem real great, right? He's learned his lesson. He doesn't want to go through any of that kind of stuff again. He, there, there's no objections this time in the text, right? He, he, he just goes, no complaints. But listen, when you see what unfolds in chapter four, and trust me, we're getting there. We're going to get to that next week. And, and how Jonah in that chapter, he just... Like he just snaps, right? And, and how he really thinks and what he really feels just comes spewing out of him. Like he, he can't handle it anymore. And when you realize that, and when you see that, it begins to shed light on these verses in front of us now, where all of a sudden you start to understand, well, like Jonah's, Jonah's not completely on board with what God is commanding him to do here, right? He, he, he goes, certainly, which is definitely a lot better than jumping on a ship to, to, to Tarshish and, and running away and, and, and giving in to rebellion and all of that. It, it's like he, he goes to Nineveh here, but he does it while biting his tongue, right? Fine, I'll go do this. I'll say the words that you want me to say. But I've got some real thoughts here. And I can't wait to, to give you a piece of my mind, God. And again, that's all coming. That's all coming in chapter four. 
But here he just, he stuffs it, right? He, he, he kind of, he presses that down. He doesn't, he doesn't let that come out. So you understand here that context is king, right? And, he, and how chapter four begins to give us an understanding of what he's really going through in these specific moments in chapters one to three. Okay, but there's even more here that sheds light on how his obedience isn't much more than superficial compliance. Because if you look carefully at what Jonah actually says to the Ninevites here, it's pretty telling, right? He says in verse four, take a look at it again. He says, yet 40 days and, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And now some have noted that, that usually when a prophet speaks on behalf of God, uh, they make it a point to say so. Right? Thus, thus saith the Lord, right? Thus says the Lord. And then they deliver the oracle, right? In the New Testament, uh, the Apostle Paul and, and, and the writers of the New Testament say something very similarly. Uh, you know, an apostle of, of, of Christ Jesus. Then comes the letter, right? They're pointing to that the authority is not within themselves. This isn't my message. This is, this is God's word. This is God's message. But he, but he doesn't say that here, right? There's, there's nothing in here to, to authenticate his message. It seems to be missing. I, I, I don't know. I kind of find that interesting. And now he, he also doesn't mention the reason or, or the grounds for God's judgment, he doesn't say what God had originally told him to say back in chapter one in verse two. What was the reason for, for God's judgment that he had to go and call out against it? It says there, uh, for their evil has come up against me. Right? That's, that's the reason that, that they're being called to repentance. But you notice how that's, that's missing from what Jonah says. Jonah essentially says, hey guys, 40 days and you're dead. Right? That's, that's the message there. Right? What's more is, is he, doesn't even, he doesn't even tell them what they could do to avert this disaster. It's just like, this, this is coming, you're done. He doesn't tell them that, that, they, could, that they could repent, right? that they could turn from their sin if they, if they would confess it to the Lord. Now there's also that part in there about 40 days, right? He says it's the 40 days reference. Maybe that for you, as, as you start to think about this, I mean, the earliest writers, the Israelites, they, that, that would have you know, kind of pricked their thoughts and, and got them thinking about a couple of different episodes in the Old Testament. We got them thinking about uh, the flood, right? And, and the 40 days and, and nights that it, that it rained and, and that was God's judgment, right? So the earlier readers would have been thinking about that uh, absolutely, Hey, but another 40 days mention in the Old Testament was that whole uh, golden calf situation. You remember that? We actually talked through that a number of months ago. We pre I preached through that sermon uh, a while ago where, where Moses was, was up on the mountain. He's getting the, the Ten Commandments and, and the Israelites are all gathered at the base and, and, you know, and, it, and it's Aaron there and, and they're saying, like, Moses seems to be gone. Uh, can you kind of help us out here? We need, we need a God to worship. And so they, you know, put all their gold together and as Aaron says, out pops this, this calf and, and they worship it. And I mean, that's, a, that's kind of a problem to the Lord, I think, right? It stirred the Lord to, to anger and, and to judgment. Again, this is what these, are, these things are recalling. But in this situation, it, that story was also, what, what did Moses do? He prayed for the people. Right? He interceded for them for how many days? 40, 
right? There's the reminder. But what do we see here? We, I mean, we don't get any sense that Jonah was, you know, had that kind of care and that kind of, you know, desire to intercede on behalf of the Ninevites. We don't see that. He's not, he's not praying for them. Not at all. He, he, he just seems to want them completely wiped out, Sodom and Gomorrah style. So again, both, both the reason for God's impending judgment and the opportunity to repent, which are, again, typically very much present when a prophet calls out a foreign nation in the scriptures. Both those things are, are, are kind of curiously missing here. And on top of this, you see that the, the Jonah uses the word overthrown. Now, nothing wrong with that necessarily. I mean, generally speaking, that word means uh, bring to ruin and, and demolish. It's absolutely how Jonah is using it and certainly, certainly part of, of God's warning to the Ninevites here. But it can also carry another meaning. It can mean to change, to change, which is exactly what, what verse five and onwards through the rest of this chapter that we're going to look at, it reveals that, that God does in the hearts of these people. He changes them. He, he, he transforms their lives, their hearts. So you take all of this that we've been discussing here all together and a clearer picture starts to come into focus for us here that, that Jonah is just, he's just not interested in those things for this city. He, he desires that they simply face judgment, right? They deserve death, punishment, wrath, obliteration. That's his mentality. That's his attitude. Now, now the, the amazing thing that kind of jumps out at me is, as I think through all this and I look at the, at the book of, of Jonah is that even though his message to the Ninevites here is, is it's incomplete at, at best and, and not, you know, doesn't seem to be coming from a place of, you know, like a heart for them and a desire for them to, to turn back to the Lord. Doesn't be, seem to be coming from a place of joyful obedience really at all to, to God. Isn't it interesting that God still uses it? How great is that, Right? The Lord takes this message and this man that's, that's so flawed and uses it to save these people. How great is that? Right? It, it's, it's so good. I mean, the, the, the text here, it, it even it emphasizes God in the process of all of this. Verse 5, look at it. It says, and the people of Nineveh believed God. He doesn't say that they believed Jonah. They believed God through a flawed man like Jonah. But I mean, how, how awesomely reassuring is that for you and I? Or I, I, I think it's so great. You know, people who, who struggle with the same kinds of things as Jonah, like, like you and I do. For us to know that God, God moves and, and, and he acts and, he, and, and he, he works despite our, our deficiencies. Does that not bring you some sense of relief? Some, some sense of joy that even when our repentance isn't full, even when our repentance is, is missing something, it's not like the Lord's like, well, now I can't possibly move because you guys aren't perfect. He, he knows we're not perfect. He knows that our, 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 our turning to him, our, our obedience, it, none of that is, is perfect. It's deficient. And as reassuring as it is to know that that doesn't stop God and and, and he still pursues relationship with us in this never giving up 
relentless type way where he just, you know, cuts through our brokenness and, 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 and changes us as he's, you know, at the, at the same time, you know, graciously using us in our brokenness and how we, we often are so blind to where we're at and we don't, we don't get it and we're insensitive to where he's leading us. He still uses us in, in, in the making of disciples and, and, and in ministry and on mission and all of that and carrying out the Great Commission. Right? As we think about all of these things, it should really cause us to, you know, our, our desires to, to kind of well up. Like, I, I want to get on board with the Lord. It should really get us thinking about, like, and examining where is, where is my obedience at? Where, where is it coming from? Where, where's my attitude at in all of these things? Is it like Jonah's? Have I fallen into this rut of, of superficial compliance? Where if you were, you know, if, if, if you were to ask anybody who knows me, they would say, yeah, that guy's, you know, completely on point. He, he, he's following the Lord. Well, it looks like it, but there's some things not really happening under the hood here. Right? We should be examining these things and, and thinking about our, our obedience as we kind of realize the grace that, that he's shown us and he continues to show us. So listen, think about that today. Think about that as, as we go through the next week. Where's our obedience at? I'm telling you right now, our, our small groups, as we gather this week in homes, we're going to be discussing these things. Is my obedience just superficial compliance or, or is it joyful? Is it, is it genuine? Is it, is it real? And I was thinking about it, you know, just this week, you know, how, how are we doing in that as individuals and, and as families and, and as a church when it comes to the things that our church is committed to? I was thinking about our four pillars. We're going to have some of these up or have them up on the screen here and, and, and go through this just a little bit. How are you when it comes to your obedience to the word of God, right? Our first pillar, you see it there. It's unapologetic preaching. Now you might be like, well, I guess I'm not obeying it very well because I've never preached in this church. No, that's not what we're talking about, right? You may not get an opportunity to actually, you know, preach God's word in a service or something like that, but, but are you obeying it? Are you, are you proclaiming it to yourself? Let's start there. Do you preach the word of God to yourself? When your thoughts want to go a different direction, when your emotions are leading you down a path that's not healthy and it's dragging other people with you, do you proclaim truth to yourself? Are you an unapologetic proclaimer of God's word? Are you obeying what it says? Are you leading your, your spouse? Your, are you leading your kids in that? Are you working that out in the relationships that we've got here with each other? Is your obedience to that real and genuine or, again, has it become more superficial than anything? What about the second pillar? Our second pillar is worship. This is what we're about as a church. Am I showing up on Sundays worshiping unashamedly? Have I prepared my heart through the week? Am I, am I longing for this? Am I eager to just express glory and praise to the Lord? Am I obeying him in that way? That's not an option. It's, it's not a suggestion. 
It's not something we do if we feel it necessarily. It's something we do because God commands it. And we want it to be real. We want it to be from the heart. But again, are you doing this? Are you obeying the, the Lord when it comes to worshiping him unashamedly? What's our third pillar? Well, it's prayer, right? Unceasing prayer. How's prayer going for you these days? Right? No way to make us feel more guilty about our relationship with the Lord than just to talk, start talking about prayer and how we're doing, right? right? We all feel terrible out of our prayer lives. Are we growing in it though? Like bit by bit, piece by piece? Or, or is it superficial compliance? Is it, you know, I say a few words before I drift off at night? Is it that, that rote liturgical prayer we pray before meals just to show my kids that you know, we're trying in some kind of surfacey way to bring Christ into this? Or are you, are you joyful? Are, are, you, are you genuine? Are you real in your prayer life? Are you obeying him by, by bringing your needs, your concerns, your things to the Lord? Are you worshiping him in that way too? A fourth pillar here, it's evangelism. Unafraid witness, are we obedient when it comes to the call to share the good news with the lost? Are we obedient in that? Are we asking the Lord, God, bring us people that are ripe for this. Lead people to me who would ask questions. Lead people to me where I can have a real conversation with. Not people that I'm just going to get into arguments with. Not people that just want to pick fights with me. Lord, give me wisdom to discern the difference there. But our, our Lord, give me boldness to give, give me boldness to, to just be an unafraid witness here. Listen, this is what our church is committed to, but this is this is an every Christ follower thing. Do we understand? It's not just a harvest thing. This is everybody, every church, every person who has given their lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. How's our obedience in this area? Right? Do you notice that these are all areas, areas for us where we, we just quickly kind of just throw it in autopilot, don't we? Well, they're kind of happening, kind of. But it's superficial compliance. You realize that, that God's looking for more than that, right? Obedience that's passionate and, and grateful. Coming from a place of, of deeper and, and truer humility that, that comes from from repentance. Okay, and that's where all of this is really going here in the final thing. Take a look. When God calls me to obey, he's looking for a wide scale turn from evil in response to his word. All right, so verse five told us there that all of Nineveh repents, which is so cool. Now verse six unpacks what went down and how it all went down. Okay, so it says there, verse six, the word, okay, so... Jonah's message that he proclaimed, but really we know this, it was God's message, right? It was God's message through Jonah. And it's somewhat interesting and telling to note that, that for the rest of this chapter, uh, Jonah's absent, right? The focus is entirely on the Lord and, and on these people and what the Lord has done and, and the people's response to that. It's about God's word. It's about God's message. It's about God's power and, and what that and what he accomplishes in the hearts of sinners. All right, so again, the word reached the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. Okay, that's not like standard operating procedure for a pagan king. All right, just letting you know that. This is him like, like revealing his grief over this. 
Like the Lord, you can tell the Lord, the spirit of God just smoked him in this moment, right? He's showing sorrow, heartfelt, godly sorrow, contrition. Keep going. It says, and he issued a, a proclamation and, and published through Nineveh. This is what he says to all the people. He says, by decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Okay, so he's, he's issuing a, a nationwide or a citywide, you should say, uh, fast. He's like, we're gonna get our hearts right with, with the Lord here. Now, now the mention of, of animals there, it's kind of interesting. It's not to say that animals are morally responsible uh, for sin and you know, they better repent too. That, that's not what this is saying. Okay, they're not made in the image of God like, like mankind is. But it's rather to, to emphasize that all of creation is affected and impacted by the sin of man. Okay, it also seems to, to kind of show here that, that even, this is crazy, even animals are more responsive to the Lord than Jonah was, right? That's, that's devastating. I mean, don't, don't miss that here, okay? The, the Ninevites do what Jonah, God's own prophet, refuses to do. Okay, keep going. The king continues in his decree. He says, let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone, you see this here? Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. He says, who knows? God may turn and relent and, and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Man, I love that. He's not, he's not manipulating God through a bunch of empty words and, and empty deeds. No, he, he completely acknowledges here God's, God's freedom to, to either hold back or, or unleash the disaster that he had threatened them with, right? Or, I mean, it's pretty crazy. And, and so, so what you see here is this, this, this tension that exists here between divine mercy and uh, divine justice, right? Both are, both are true, both are real, both are present, both need to be considered by us when we think about who God is and how he works, right? We tend to emphasize one over the other, neglecting one or the other. And when we do that, all of a sudden, we don't have a very clear picture of God, Okay, but also what we need to do here is we need to recognize the uniqueness of the particular situation unfolding here. Okay, the Ninevites as, as Gentiles and as pagans, they were not included in, in God's covenant with Israel. Okay, do we, do we see that? Right, where, where God promises to always forgive when God's people repent. Right, he has bound himself to that. Which, listen, that's the exact same promise that you and I have through the new covenant in Christ's blood. How amazing is that? Right, it reminds me of that verse. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. He is faithful and just. Why is he just to forgive us our sins? Isn't that him passing over it? Isn't that him kind of turning a blind eye to our sinfulness? No, right? It's not because he's already punished the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross on our behalf. 
His justice has been executed. Forgiveness is yours, it is mine every single time that we ask. We never have any reason to doubt that. If we doubt that, it just means we don't understand the scriptures. We're not believing it. Here though, the king of of Nineveh, he recognizes that God could execute justice or, or he could show mercy. It's like, we're not involved in the covenant that he's got with his people, Israel. And listen, knowing that, and he's not sure how, how God is going to respond, knowing that God has every right to respond however he chooses, knowing all of it, he, he decides, I'm going all in on repentance. Right? I, I, I'm, I'm going for it. I see that the, the spirit of God has convicted me and has con- convicted us as a city to, to get this right, regardless of what happens. He just lets the chips fall where they may. I am going to leave that in the Lord's hands, how he decides to respond. Now here's exactly how the Lord responds. Verse 10, take a look. It says, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way. Okay, so you see there, it's genuine, right? God, God knows that. It wasn't just, you know, appropriate looking you know, outward religious behavior. Okay, no, they, 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 actually, they actually turned away from their sin and toward God. He uses the word turned in the text, right? And it, it's, it, that, that's what repentance is. It's turning away from that. I think so many times you and I start to play the game. It's a losing battle, by the way, but we play the game where we, we say that we're repenting. We, we, we pray words, but again, it's disengaged from, from where our heart's truly at. And, and we say that we're repenting. We say all the right things, but we continue to walk towards our sin. I continue to walk towards the lust. I continue to give in to my anger and not deal with it properly. I continue to be selfish. I continue to be a self-righteous jerk towards other people that I think need to be as awesome as me. But all the while, I say the right things. That's not what's happening here in the Ninevites. And God knows it. He sees it there. They turned from their evil way. They repented. And it says, what does God do? Relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them. And he did not do it. Right? So because of his his mercy, God responds to the genuine actions of this king and his subjects. What I love here too, and, and, and what seems so apparent in the text and just the kind of the way it all, you know, is worded there for us is just how quickly this all seems to spread. You notice how they're not like, well, let's take like 18 months and kind of think through what we've heard. No, it's like it happens. Like it reaches, it reaches the word of the king. People have already been engaging in these things, right? They're already repenting. And the king's like, I, I want to do it too. And they just do it. And it happens so quickly. It's so wide, wide scale, widespread. And again, not because of Jonah, but actually, if you think about it, despite him, not because of how wise and how smart and how soft-hearted and in tune with the Lord that they were. No, it was purely because God decided to move in power. Do you see that? God decided to, to show mercy. God works through his word that was proclaimed. I mean, I was thinking about this with my own life and, and just kind of thinking through, it was, it, was, it was kind of great to be able to do this. I encourage you to do it too. And just reminding myself of the different times in my life over the last you know, bunch of years 
where I was, you know, just in front of God's word, the message, you know, in, in my own time reading and studying and, and, and sensing the Lord kind of poking me on something. And, and it, it was that conviction. He, he was highlighting my sin that I needed to turn from. It was all the times that I've, I've heard like amazing sermons. It might've been a podcast I was listening to or, or, or a retreat or, or a conference or, or just being in church and hearing faithful men of God proclaim the word of God and, and, and experiencing God's power and God's spirit working through me and, and leading me to a, to a deeper place of repentance. Man, some of, some of you have have said the same thing to me following, following a service here in your time uh, within our church. Now listen, that's not because of me. I know that. I get that. It's because of God. It's not because of you. It's not because you're, 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 ex, you know, you're so able to parse Greek verbs and, and you know how to apply that to your life and you have such a, a handle on the text. That, that's not it. It's God's power working through his word. That's what he does. He transforms us as we obey it. It's all the Lord. The message to Jonah here, the message to the Ninevites, it's the exact same one to us here today. It's the same message for us every single day. It's to recognize our areas of sin. It's to recognize the evil that's in our hearts and and turn from it in obedience to that word. Listen, some of you need to hear that here today. Some of you need to to experience and feel the the sting of God's word and and the conviction that his his Holy Spirit brings into your life and and obey God, right? Turn from from the evil that's in your heart. Don't just just give over bits and pieces of it. Don't play that game where we often try and negotiate with God. Well, God, I'll, I'll give you this part of my life. Or, or I'll give you this aspect of that sin, but, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to continue to hold on to, to a bit of it because it, it brings me some, some sense of pleasure in my flesh. Or we try to, again, say the right things or give him parts of it, but because we're, we're just trying to pacify God, 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 are you happy now? I've given you some. Now, please don't disrupt my life. I've done this for you. Now, let me live how I want to live. Now, answer the prayers that I deserve to have you answer. Do you, see, do you play that game when you hear the word of God? When you sense that, that, that conviction? Listen, no more, no more partial turning from evil. No more of that fake repentance we talked about last week. Wide scale, total, thorough obedience. Right? That's what God is looking for. And listen, as, as some of you, I, I know where you're at because I've sat there so many times and you're sitting there and God's hand is heavy on you right now. And, and, you're, and you're feeling that, that sting and, and, and you're, You're wrestling with the Lord. Listen, you need to understand that that's your pride putting up that fight. And if you would just relent, if you would just tap out, if you would just give way to the Lord, what you'll experience is that real repentance and obedience to him 
in whatever personal area you're grappling with is just so refreshing. Have you sensed that before? Have you had that in your walk with the Lord? Where you fought him? And it's been pride, 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 sin, sin, sin. And he's been pushing you. He's been, he's been coming after you like he's coming after Jonah. And he finally, he's, he's kind of like broken your back, so to speak, on that. And, and it's just that flood of joy, of repentance. And, it, and it's his goodness and it's the sweetness of his mercy and, and the realization of his love for you and, and how you don't deserve it and how awesome he is. That's what God wants to pour out on you now. Don't fight him on it. Repentance isn't to make your life miserable. It's to, it's to make it more joyful. It's, it's to improve your relationship with him. And you can see how the Ninevites go all in on this, right? They're like every animal, put sackcloth on them as well, right? They're, they're just, they're, they're going for it. And you can just imagine the joy that would have come as this entire city. I mean, picture that. Imagine that happening in Newmarket. People are walking around with their dogs and they're just like covered in ash because people are repentant. Can you imagine the joy that would spread through this place, that would, that would spread across York region if we would do this? The joy would be immense. Why? Because we know that we're right with the Lord again. We're good with him. That repentance and that, that obedience brings such life to our bones. It's because our relationship with God is, is as it should be. Because we're close to him. His nearness is our good. It is because he is now getting glory from your life, which is the reason you exist. Listen, there's, there's just nothing, nothing more life-giving than that for us. Are you going to go for it? Are you going to bow your heart? Are you going to bend your knee? Going for obedience, real obedience. Done with the knockoff version. Done with my game plan. God, help us. 